Paul says, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who post in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Barney. Good evening, everybody here in the building and everybody watching elsewhere at home or wherever you're watching from. It's quite hard to worship when it's cold, isn't it? 
It's quite hard. No, we're told to worship in spirit and in truth, and there's no temperature measured there. Um, and it's quite hard to hear God's word. So let's pray that God would warm our hearts at the very least by his Holy Spirit as we look at his word tonight. Lord, here we are in St. Paul's Church, thanking you for his commitment to the good news. And as we read this part of his letter to the Philippians, send your spirit on us tonight. Uh, wherever we are, if we're watching online, we pray you do that. Here in this building, we pray in a special warming by your spirit while it's a bit chilly. Take my words and speak through them. But speak to each one of us tonight something significant that we would all take a step forward in our walk with you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Got a little question for you. Uh, this is the limit of my ability on PowerPoint to prepare a slide as technical as this, so don't get too excited. But there it is. I, could, I, I did that this afternoon. I'm not expecting a round of applause. But uh, no, no, I wasn't expecting that. I know I'm an old dinosaur, but there we are. Uh, I would have been very proud of that about 20 years ago to be able to do that. Anyway, just to quietly think, if someone said to you, what's life, this is not just what's life about generally, but for you, what's life about? How, how would you answer that? You can think about it. If you're extroverted and sitting next to someone, you can think out loud and talk to them, but you can just think it. Uh, what would you say? Is it about fashion? Is it about wealth? Is it about having fun? Is it about friends? Is it about how you look? Uh, what, what do you really focus on? What for you is life about? Now, if you've been reading through Philippians, you'll know what Paul's answer to that was. So we looked at it two or three weeks ago. Philippians 1.21, St. Paul says this, For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He's in a prison, probably in Rome. Uh, he would love to go to be with the Lord, because he knows that is far better. God's prepared a wonderful eternity for those of us who love him. But he said, it's probably better that I'm here for you, uh, so I'll stay for a while. But for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know how you would have answered that question if you're a well-brought-up Christian and you knew the answer. Anyway, you would have done it. But if you're just honest about really what you put your focus on, what would you have said? And it struck me in preparing tonight that Philippians 3 really expounds on that verse. This is in Paul's mind as he's writing to the Philippians. He's writing a thank you letter. They've sent him a gift uh, through Epaphroditus. We heard about him last week from Daniel. Paul's sending Epaphroditus back with this thank you letter. But in chapter 3, he just expands on what it is for him to, for life to be about Jesus. And while I was preparing this, I came across an old quotation. If you're old, you will know who I mean by Malcolm Muggeridge. He was quite famous in the last century. If you're a student, you won't have ever heard of him. But don't worry, the quote is still stands. Uh, he was quite famous a long time ago. And he said this towards the end of his life. I may, I suppose, regard myself as a relatively successful man. People occasionally stare at me in the streets. That's fame. I can fairly easily earn enough to qualify for admission to the higher slopes of the inland revenue. That's success. Furnished with money and a little fame, even the elderly, if they care to, may partake of trendy diversions. That's pleasure. It might happen once in a while that something I said or wrote was sufficiently heeded for me to persuade myself that it represented a serious impact on our time. That's fulfillment. Yet I say to you, and I beg you to believe me, multiply these tiny triumphs by a million, add them all together, 
and they are nothing, less than nothing, a positive impediment measured against one draught of the living water that Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty, irrespective of who or what they are. Now that's quite significant, someone towards the end of their life who had what the world regarded as success, who had tasted what Jesus gave and said everything that the world has to offer, when you add it all together, is nothing compared to what Jesus gives. And that very much is the theme of this chapter. St. Paul is saying, Jesus is so wonderful that nothing else compares. Uh, You could preach many sermons on this chapter. We're just doing one in this series. And I've picked out three reasons, three things Paul says about why Jesus is so wonderful. So here's the first one. It's that only Jesus can put us right with God. Only Jesus can make us righteous. To be righteous is to be put in a right relationship with God that leads to a right relationship with other people. Uh, Paul had tried to be as righteous as he could be, a Pharisee as regards to outward righteousness, faultless, he says. That's quite a claim. Uh, But it didn't get in there. All it led to was him becoming angry and violent. Let me read to you again verses 4 to 9. I myself have reasons for confidence in myself, he's saying. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. If you could get it by being a a Jew, a Pharisee, and living it out perfectly, Paul had done it. But he says, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. The word loss The word for refuse or done. All of that, he said, is as nothing compared to knowing Christ. Verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. If it was possible to get right with God by earning it, Paul would have got there. Every other religion in the world, apart from Christianity, has a version on you get right with God, or the gods, or however you conceive it, by living a good enough life. If it's a reincarnation religion, you lived a good enough life and come back higher and higher until you eventually get there. There doesn't seem to be worth getting to. Uh, And if you lead a bad life, you go worse and worse. You go round and round. Other religions believe you just have to work hard enough to get there. Uh, There's a strand of thought in Islam that Allah puts your good deeds in one pan and your bad in the other, and you see which way it tips for you. It's not a good way for me. I know some of you quite well. It's not a good way for you. Uh, Paul, his good deeds outweighed his his bad in some ways, but that still wasn't enough because God is perfect. The scriptures teach that God is light and we can no more enter into close relationship with God than we can look at the sun with our bare eyes. We just can't do it. Uh, it's as futile a task to try and earn a right relationship with God as it is if you go down to visit Land's End and you say, let's see how far we can throw stones and see if one of us can hit America. One of you might get it 20 yards, one of you might throw a stone 80 yards, I don't know, but you're both thousands of miles away. And when we try to earn relationship with God, we just fall short. And the British disease is to compare ourselves with everybody else. 
So if you're a sort of 50-yard stone thrower, you might think, well, I'm not an 80-yard, but I'm better than that 20-yard stone. You're still miles short of God's standards. We think of a sort of a ladder with someone like Mother Teresa at the top and Hitler at the bottom, and we put ourselves roughly in the middle and think that's God's pass mark. And Paul had lived an exemplary life according to his peers, and he knew it didn't put him right with God. He would become angry and violent uh, and aggressive and frustrated. And then Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus Road. The Jesus he thought uh, was wrong about himself. Jesus appeared risen, ascended, glorified, and explained that his death on the cross had paid the price for our sin so that we can be forgiven. You cannot earn being right with God. It's a free gift because Jesus died for us. And Paul was so thrilled about that, uh, that being right with God, he was uh, utterly compelled to go and tell everybody and to oppose anyone else who said you can earn it. That's why he calls the people who are saying you need to be circumcised or fulfill different requirements to get right with God. He calls them dogs. They're, he's really quite fed up with anybody who sends you down the wrong track. So the first reason why Paul is so thrilled with Jesus is that Jesus puts us right with God. It's a wonderful thing. It's easy to take it for granted when you've been a Christian for any length of time. We had the conf- Kate led us in a confession Uh, But it's the most wonderful thing to know what it is to be washed clean. Uh, Let me come on to the second reason, because it's cold, and I don't want to keep you here till you're all frozen, so we'll we'll move on. Uh, Paul discovered that knowing Jesus was really wonderful. It's not just being put in a right relationship with God, but actually that relationship is fantastic. I was preaching about this this morning from John chapter 6, that Jesus welcomes us. He not only forgives us, he satisfies our inner hungers uh, for meaning and our thirsts uh, for things that make life worth living. Uh, Let me read to you again from verse 7. I'll read on a bit further this time. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Paul says, I know Jesus, and knowing him is better than everything else, but I want to know him more. I want to know him more. He is so wonderful. I want to know him more. And in the next chapter, he goes on to list some more of those reasons. We'll come to these in a couple of weeks' time. But here's a sort of appetite wetter for where we're going. Chapter 4 and verse 7. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace, which makes no human sense whatsoever. There's coronavirus going around, there's a a financial crisis, we're all a bit isolated, we're all stressed and under extra pressure, and God gives us a peace that makes no human sense whatsoever. And it's a promise. There are conditions, and we'll look at those in a couple of weeks, but Paul knew that peace. There's a contentment. Listen to this from chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. I know what it is to be in need, he says. I know what it is to have plenty. 
I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And he goes on to say in verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So Paul could say, I've learned to be content in isolation. He's in prison. I've learned to be content when surrounded with people. I've learned to be content when I've got loads of stuff. I've learned to be content when I haven't. Because nobody can take Jesus away. It's an extraordinary thing. And he says to the Philippians at the end of the letter, this is his thank you letter for God providing his needs through them. He says in verse 19 of chapter 4, my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Not all our wants, but our needs, what we actually need, God has abundantly for us. And Paul had experienced all of this, and he says that's why knowing Jesus is so wonderful. There's a peace, there's a contentment, there's our needs met, provided we're keeping on focusing and looking to him and not uh, trying to chase after everything else that people around us tell us matters more. You can't buy these things. You can't earn them. Uh, I remember in my last church in Hinckley, lovely, lovely lady who was an aromatherapist came to faith in Jesus. And she had all these oils that she used, all these aromas to help make people feel better. I remember she said uh, <coughs> about her new faith in Jesus, if you could bottle this, you'd make a fortune. She said it was far better, far, far better. Which is not to say that these other things are worthless. It's only in comparison to knowing Jesus. God gives us richly all things to enjoy with him, but without him, they're empty. And here's the third reason. Uh, only Jesus gives us eternal life. Touched on this this morning as well. It was in the same passage in John chapter 6. To have an eternal perspective. The Bible never just looks at this life. It says we're made for eternity to know God. And while we'll all have to die, there is, an, there is a whole eternity ahead and we can have that with God in the new heaven and earth he's made preparing for us or we'll wind up cut off from him. And Paul knew that Jesus had qualified him for eternal life. Let me read on from verse 10. I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining forwards to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. And verse 20 as well. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's this eternal perspective that Jesus has given him assurance that he will be part of God's eternal kingdom. Uh, if you're listening this morning, this connects so much with what we were thinking about. Jesus promises to satisfy our desires, to draw us to himself. He'll never drive us away, to raise us up <coughs> on the last day. Uh, this morning I quoted Sam Ganji from the end of Lord of the Rings. I won't quote it at the same length. But if you know the story, right at the end, when the evil is destroyed and when Sam is recovering and he finds out that Gandalf hasn't died, after all, he's alive. And he, <coughs> Gandalf, is it you? Are all the sad things becoming untrue? It's this wonderful thing, you can't quite believe it. 
And Gandalf laughs and says, yes. And it's a sort of a hint of what it will be when Jesus restores everything. Great phrase in the New Testament, at the restoration of all things. When everything is renewed, when there's no more coronavirus and no more isolation and, uh, and when we're not cold anymore, <laughs> when, when there's no more death or suffering, no more sin, and all is made perfect in God's world, uh, we will be there. Now, I've <clears throat> been thinking about illustrations of eternity and I was reminded of bedtime stories with my children. When my oldest son, who's now a curate over in Woodford Green, uh, he's 29 now, when he was five, we'd been reading bedtime stories about heaven and being with Jesus for all eternity. And one night I went through his bedtime story. He'd bagged all his toys up together, his favorite toys in a bag. And I said to him, Thomas, what are, they, what are those for? I've got all my favorite toys to be with me just in case I die so I can take them with me to heaven, he says, age five. So I, I was a bit of a party pooper. I said, I'm really sorry, darling, but we can't take anything with us when we go. And he said, why not? I said, well, heaven's so wonderful. Jesus will have everything we need, even everything I want. I'm not having Jesus tell me what I can take to heaven, he says. But, but actually, in his little heart there, he'd got something which has grown in him down the years and that eternal perspective. Obviously, none of us have got it entirely right. And from God's perspective, we're all probably a bit like a five-year-old trying to work it out. Uh, I found some old notes of mine, a, story, a silly story I haven't told for ages, of a very wealthy man who was really frustrated he couldn't take his riches with him to heaven. And he was praying about it, and eventually an angel was dispatched to say, all right, you can take one suitcase. That's it, but no more. So he cashed in loads of his wealth and bought gold bullion bars and filled up a suitcase, and it was there by his hospital bed, ready for when he died. And he dies, and he is the only one arriving in heaven with a suitcase. And uh, they say, the angel's on the door, sorry, you can't bring that in. And he says, I think you'll find, if you look it up, that I am allowed one suitcase. And they go and look it up, he says, you are. And so he brings it out on the equivalent of customs, and the angels are all amazed, say, what is so valuable? that this man is allowed to bring one suitcase with him into heaven. And he puts his suitcase there and opens it up, and there's all this gold bullion there. And the angels look at him, and St. Peter says, you brought pavement. <laughs> it's just, it's, and it, it's a silly story, but it's such a truth. The things that this world values are pavement in heaven. Paul had all the degrees, all the success, all the plaudits, as Malcolm Muggridge did, and he knew that compared to one draft of the living water of Jesus, it was pavement. Jesus puts us right with God. Knowing him is wonderful, even in the midst of this terrible time we're living. And one day, all that's bad will be removed and we will be with him in eternity, in glory, forever. But you only get to know this when you repent of living life your way and stop trying to earn it and you bow the knee to Jesus as your Lord. Uh, many of you will know my story, but if you're relatively new students here, you won't. I grew up in a Christian home. I was definitely a Christian, but I was definitely not a wholehearted Christian. I was torn two ways and fairly unhappy as a teenager. I always say, if you want to be miserable, be a half-hearted Christian, almost guaranteed. Uh, when I went up to university, what's now 39 years ago, and I have a 40th anniversary party next year for this, Someone said to me, do you believe it's true? I said, yes, I do. They said, why don't you live like it then? 
and the Holy Spirit convicted me and I bowed my knee to Jesus as my Lord <coughs> as I made that new start. I was blown away by the joy that came in. Like St. Paul, I want to say, I uh, certainly haven't made it. I'm a, I'm a work in progress. And those of you who know me will know there's a lot of work still to go, as Paul knew and he wrote here. But I wouldn't go back. And it comes as you bow the knee to Jesus as your Lord. And what I want to invite you to do this evening, whether you're here in church or whether you're watching at home somewhere or somewhere else, is to invite you to bow your knee to Jesus as Lord afresh. Many of you here live with Jesus as your Lord. Just renew that commitment to him tonight. One or two of you are not ready for that. You're exploring what it is to be a Christian. Uh, it's not too late to join our Alpha course. It's week three. By, ne- by week four, I think it's probably a bit late. We'll wait for the next one. But uh, you could join in tomorrow night or you could say, I want to explore this. Can I talk with someone? Can I read something? Uh, you don't do this lightly. But I suspect there's one or two of you here tonight who know that this is true but you know that you're really chasing everything else for satisfaction other than Jesus as Lord. Now, God gives you the freedom to try that route. (laughs) The scriptures tell us it won't satisfy in the long run. Uh, The way to enjoy these things is to do it with God, with him as Lord. But I want to invite you tonight to bow your knee to Jesus as your Lord. Now, nobody else needs to know that just in this private transaction between you and God. So I want to invite everybody to stand, please, here in the building. For some of you, this will be renewing your commitment to Jesus as Lord. For others, it will be a question of saying, God, if this is true, help me to know. It sounds wonderful, but there must be a catch, but I want to know. But for those of you specifically who were where I was 39 years ago, I want you to just pray something like this in your own heart. Lord Jesus Christ, I bow inwardly before you. Thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. I praise you that you are risen and ascended and one day will come again and all things will be renewed. I want to know that peace and contentment and joy that you promise that shines through St. Paul, even from prison. So I bow my knee to you as my Lord. For those of you who've done this many years ago, we renew our commitment to you, Lord Jesus, as our Lord. Come and fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me grace to live for you. Give me grace to uh, declare my faith in you when people ask. Give me grace to share how good you are. And I trust you, Lord Jesus. Help me to trust you more. That you will watch over me and provide for me and guide me right through this life and through death to the other side in glory with you. And I offer my life to you this evening, for some of you for the first time brothers afresh so give me grace to live out what I'm saying this evening and all these things I pray Jesus in your great name Amen and a prayer Lord for any who are exploring these things will you open their eyes
to see the truth, as they ask questions, as they read the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, as they uh, come on our Alpha course or talk with us afterwards, would you lead each person who's listening to this this evening or any other time to a living faith in you that's not dependent on circumstances but on your great promises? And all these things we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, if 